0: And we're back. It's episode 12 of the Graphic Content Podcast. My name is Jim and I'm here with a very special guest, uh, John Morris, the author of one of the most fun books that I've had the chance to peruse in recent months, a title called The League of Regrettable Superheroes. John, how are you?
1: I'm doing swell. How are you today?
0: Uh, you know what? I think "swell" will be the uh, buzzword for the day. This is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I'm telling you, John. I, I just flipping through your book. I well, let me back up. I've already. I've always had a fascination with gold and silver in recent characters. That just there's something askew about them, and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you that it's it's. this catalogs the history of those characters that just never found their way. And, and, and I, I guess maybe the, where I want to start is, is by asking you, um, in a nutshell, and then we can kind of go from there. What is this book for somebody who's listening to this podcast and hearing of this for the first time?
1: Uh, Well, this is a catalog of at least 100, something like 108, I haven't done a total count, of of the weirdest, the wildest, the most forgotten, and the most undeservedly obscure superheroes in comic book history. These are all legit characters who were at one point or another created for comics, had sometimes long careers, usually very, very short ones, and uh, for one unfortunate reason or another, just never made that step into the limelight.
0: And uh, I'll tell you, this, this book covers everything from the early golden age of comics up until stuff that's rather recent. I mean, stuff that I remember being a, a lot younger man in probably my 20s and early 30s reading books like, oh, I don't know, The New Guardians from DC hmm. Comics. Ugh um (laughs) that was a rough ride that one yeah so why don't you why don't we uh uh, tell our listeners uh, um a little bit of your story um you know both you know what you do how you came to this idea maybe uh talk a little bit about how you got into comics to begin with
1: Oh, sure. Well, uh, the story is that I grew up in a house full of them because both of my parents collected before I was born. Really? Uh, Yeah. My, my pop had taught himself English when he came over from Germany at all of eight years old, uh, how to read English from comic books. He used to listen to the radio to learn how to speak and understand it. Uh Uh-huh. So he had tremendous elocution. Uh, wow. But, uh, yes, I grew up in a house full of challengers. The unknown was his favorite and he. He was telling me that he was reading that when he was a little kid, but the timeline, I don't think, lines up there. So I think he was trying to uh, sort of get away with having read that comic when he was a teenager, but feeling that it was too young for him. But uh, yeah, so he read a ton, collected his entire life. Uh, My mom was a very casual reader, but because she married my dad, he wouldn't let her get rid of any comics when she was done. So uh, she tended for... Uh, books like Superboy and the Teen Titans and the Legion of Superheroes, because she was a teacher oh. and uh, tended to work with at-risk kids or low-income kids, uh, and just really loved the optimism of those books, the idea that teenagers and youngsters would go on to save the world and save the universe in the future.
0: That's fantastic. You know, it's funny. My wife teaches third third grade herself in mm-hmm. uh, in a mostly disadvantaged economically area. So there's some real parallels, um, only my wife has forced me to move to online comics to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to getting a Comicsology account. Um, I, I divested myself of comics when I opened a comic shop that I ran for about seven years. And uh, she was very glad to see us at our two bedroom house. Uh, f- have some space freed up in that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh,
1: I'll tell you a story along those lines. I uh, was uh, I was walking out of uh, got back from San Diego Con, and my mission there had been to pick up the complete run of the one dollar world's finest comics that came oh, out in the nineteen eighties. I
0: love those comics.
1: Those are great, and they are. There's a lot of them, and of course they're a dollar, they're like eighty pages each, so it was a huge stack. Oh wow. And I was I was getting them organized, I was carrying them out into the kitchen so I could spread them out on a table. And I was looking at them and I, I had a moment of uh, revelation. I told her, for anyone else in the world, this would be enough comic books. <laughs> and and her response to that was if they were any good, sure. And that was the moment. <laughs> I realized first off that she had pretty much reached her limit with them and that maybe it was time for me to take a good look at why I was collecting and what.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Now I have to say, I still, uh, you know, I'm still friends with my partner who's still running the shop and, uh, you know, I go in for trade paperback. So if it goes on a bookshelf, library style, it's fine. Um, (laughs) floppy comics, long boxes, dasis verboten so uh
1: <laughs> i i can see it how many uh, how many comics did you have when you finally got around to cleaning out your collection
0: you know i never i never counted them but i can tell you it was on the order of like 20 long boxes full, full of comics um you know some of which there is one short box that i keep because i have complete runs of the um Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the artist right now who's escaping me. The Jim Aparo run on Phantom Stranger from the 1960s. Uh, And I've got uh, complete, you know, Adventure Comics, Dead Man, Aquaman run. I've got some Silver Age, not a lot, but uh, Mm. I'm allowed to hang on to those because those are... Actually, worth a couple of bucks a piece, and uh,
1: <laughs> there's there's the standard, yeah. Uh,
0: you know, and I was really lucky recently. I pulled in some more hard copy comics of some uh, Kirby, Fantastic Four, and uh, you know, she, I, I'm starting to expose her to some of the Golden and Silver Age artists now, and she really is developing a, a fascination with the madness of Jack Kirby, and oh, who who definitely uh, makes an appearance or two in this book of yours, kind of kind of swinging back to that, and, you know, so I, I guess what I'm really curious about is, I you know, I was, I, I mean, some of these characters are familiar to me, because I've had a real interest in characters that have fallen into the public domain, thanks to mm-hmm. books like Terra Obscura by Alan Moore, and uh, Project Superpowers by Kruger and uh, Alex Ross, you know, characters like the Black Terror and uh, the Green Llama and all of that. So some of these characters are very familiar to me. Um, In our last episode, we talked, our last two episodes, we talked about Iron Fist, both in comics and on TV. So, of course, Amazing Man is the first one because he's my favorite Marvel Comics superhero. I I went right to the Amazing Man entry. I had to know more right there. (laughs) Talk to me about, about what was the spark that, that said to John Morris, I need to, to, to really dive in and, and be sort of an archaeologist of the regrettable here.
1: <laughs> it, uh, it was a slow evolution. Uh, my, my blog, Gone and Forgotten, will be 20 years old this month. Oh, wow. Which would be more impressive if I didn't take several three- and four-year <laughs> vacations from it.
0: Te- technically, it's about ooh, nine years old, I think I can
1: say fairly. That sounds but, like, about, um,
0: like my podcast now is running about, you know, we, we're coming up on our year celebration, but we've only really done about, you know, 10 episodes in that year span of time. <laughs> <laughs> so It counts. It yeah, counts. there you go. Anyway. Uh, but I
1: started... I started it back really, really in the early days of comics. At, I think before there were blogs, I had to I had to write every page in a Notepad. Uh, um, but uh, what what comic book sites there were tended to be shrines to a specific character or a specific creator, and they were all usually very popular. Uh, there were more than a few Batman and Wolverine shrines out there. You'd find the Spawn or the Lady Death shrines, mm-hmm. but no one with very few exceptions, almost no one was talking about weird old comics. So I think Sean baby, uh, Scott Shaw popped up around that time. Yeah. And, uh, I can never remember their names. There was a group of fellows who were doing a, a blog of all the weirdest Marvel comics villains.
0: Hmm. I and that it was, no, I think, I, I think we're still here.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: It, it, something shifted, but I think we're okay.
1: <laughs> Yay. Uh, anyway, so it was just like the four of us and then hundreds of, of blogs about popular comics. And I just like talking about the comics that people didn't talk about or didn't know about. Uh, the very first one I ever did was uh, a Spire comic, which I understand is a, a fairly moving biography, uh, but was rendered with just a weird... Uh, you want to say evangelical, but a really unconvincing evangelical spirit. And it was called Hansi, the girl who loved the swastika.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And it is this amazing cover that features just this beautiful uh, blue-eyed, pigtailed young woman spinning in apparent delight in front of a mass of Nazi flags during a rally. Wow. And it really stood out. So that was well worth talking about. And that kind of set the pattern for what I wanted to talk about was the books that no one else wanted to talk about. Or if they did, they had like, uh, what's the word kind of, a I, I want to say bug in their pants. That's not right. But they, for some reason or another, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were very serious about, it and they often had a bone to pick with the comic or they had a bone to pick with its critics. Right. And I thought it would be more fun to treat those books. Like they were funny. Cause they kind of were,
0: well, you know, when you look at you know just looking at the cover of your book before I even dive into it, you have a character called Fat Man, and yes. <laughs> Fat Man has a very I I, w- I almost want to say sort of a C.C. Beck Captain Marvel Shazam kind of feel to it ex- for a good reason, <laughs> <laughs> right? And uh, you turn to it, and it's like, oh well, then then that makes total sense. But this this gentleman's superpower. And I'm I'm turning to the page right here because it, it just blew my mind. I I thought I had heard this somewhere before, but I couldn't necessarily wrap my head around is that the guy could t- turn into a flying saucer. Yep. <laughs> and I just you know stuff like that blows my mind. I mean, what's the process like for you when you when you when you come when especially when you were doing the early days of the blog. When you would come across these characters, what's going through your head at that point? What are you analyzing?
1: It, well, it always starts with pure joy. If I can find something that gives me a spark that makes me feel slightly wonderful, then I feel like the character is worth writing about. Okay. F- Fat Man is an obvious one. This is a really appealing creation of Otto Binder and C.C. Beck. It looks very attractive. It's obviously a Shazam um, homage of sorts. And it is absurd. Like you say, he's he's billed as the hero with three identities, and that would be his secret <laughs> identity, his UFO identity. And then in between, he just goes around in a green Captain Marvel costume calling himself Fat Man, right. which is not much different than his real real secret identity. But uh, so I'm looking for something that has that spark of interest, because if there's that, that means that there's a potential in the character somewhere, however deeply buried. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes, first off, trying to find out what became of the character, because I've had a few, I have a, a relatively encyclopedic knowledge of, of superhero comics, but I can still be surprised. Uh, so I want to make sure, you know, trying to get the character story, try to look up the creators, sometimes see what other people have written about them. But, you know, nine times out of ten, nobody's ever thought to write about these characters.
0: So <laughs> I'm in good shape. Yeah,
1: and... Then it's really crafting a story around, you know, their essence and what they could have been.
0: That's that's fantastic. Um, you know, I, I, I this is one of those books just, you know, to kind of gush here for a minute. Um, oh. yeah, well, you know, it's I'm prone to it. Um, But just to gush here for a second, this is one of those books where you can read in a completely linear fashion. Start at page one, and uh, this book is just over, what, uh, 200? Yeah, 252 pages or so. And uh, so you can can sit down and, and read this marvelous collection of some characters where you could see the intent was to create the next big thing, like Amazing Man. And then you know, come across Fat Man, the human flying saucer, you know, down the road. But this is also for people. I, I, I would I would posit that this would also be a great book for for people. I said characters for, but for, for people who buy books, who love these sort of catalog reference books, and just want to flip to a random page. And get, oh, it's a
1: it's a bathroom reader. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't think I have any illusions about that. This is this is very much. I have three and a half minutes to kill. Let's see what. Uh, oh, jigsaw, and then you're all done and can move on with
0: your life. You know, and and unfortunately, I've been well. For, unfortunately, fortunately, fortunately, for our democracy, I've been on jury duty the last three weeks, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately for my for for my professional life, but. Um, you know this has been that book that i've been i've been taking with me the last oh, 5 6 days because i can just pull it out of my backpack and flip to a page and i literally landed on fat man the human flying saucer i still i'm thinking this might be like i'm 47 years old right now this might be my first cosplay right now looking ah. at this guy so <laughs>
1: Are you going to go in the green costume or is a UFO?
0: Uh, I think the UFO would require a little bit more engineering. I, I'm not the handiest fellow. My wife barely trusts me with the Phillips head screwdriver. So, <laughs> so I'm thinking the green costume, but even then, um, I, I think I would fill it out rather well. Um, so that's my favorite. Out of, out of the 250-some-odd pages that you have in your book, John, What's the character that just that just tickles your fancy the most? That, the Red Bee. Hands oh. down. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't God. even have to think about it. That That is fantastic. I mean, tell us about the Red Bee, if you would, please. Uh,
1: the Red Bee is District Attorney Richard Raleigh, uh-huh. who is exhausted with uh, how uh, the criminals in his city managed to get around loopholes in the law. So he decks himself out in a diaphanous shirt and striped <laughs> leggings. <laughs> And goes into goes into uh, crime fighting with only the power of his two fists, a little thing called a buzz gun, I believe. It doesn't pop up often.
0: It's a zapper and of some Zapper, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: I, he's my favorite, but I don't know everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, because
0: okay. anyway,
1: it's easy to it's easy to forget that one because his primary weapon is that he has a trained bee named Michael who lives in his belt buckle. <laughs> now. Okay. You might be asking yourself what could a bee possibly do to fight crime? Well, yeah. number 1, he can distract a, a foe. Yeah. Number 2, he can sting a foe. Or number 3, at one occasion when the red bee was tied to a chair, Michael flew out of the belt buckle, grabbed a razor blade from a nearby table <laughs> and flew it back to the red bee so that he could cut the ropes loose <laughs> and get out and fight crime. Oh my god. My favorite part of that though, and that's a legit scene from one of yeah. the one of the stories, is that the Somehow the writers figured it's completely unrealistic for one bee to carry a razor blade. So they had Michael recruit two other bees to come help him move the razor blade. Like the amount that a bee can lift is not the not the part that challenges credulity.
0: But the fact that the bee could, could socially engineer two other uh, bees yeah. to, to work with him.
1: How great would it be if one of them was his cousin?
0: Oh my God, Randy, <laughs> come here. Where have you been all these years? I'm uh, just apologizing. I need help moving. Oh, no, just because I got a
1: bee truck. <laughs> <Right>? um. <laughs> uh,
0: hey, who's that? Oh, that's my friend Jack. Well, bring Jack along. Bring the Jack <laughs> along. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh. <laughs> but you know what's funny is you could see that the intent, like I was saying earlier, the intent were to make these characters great because I'm looking at the art on the cover of hit comics number one, which Ooh, yeah. features the red B and the art for its time is fantastic. I mean,
1: yeah, that's the, uh, that's the great Lou fine and his incredibly yes. delicate line work. Oh, and that's one of the other things about these characters is you can never assume that they're going to be terrible just because they're old. There's a lot of great creators who work on them. And even in there's some cases where there's a creator. Yeah. You may never have heard of, but gosh, the work is good.
0: Oh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of, some of these books are fantastic. Like I was looking at the puppeteer who I could Mm -hmm. have sworn in, um, in project superpowers was like one of Alex Ross's uh, uh, doodle pages that were in the back of of each issue. (laughs) And I I, I wanted to say he was like Mr. Victory or something like that, but no, this is, this is a guy who is in a, a star spangled costume with a big white V on his chest, whose name is the puppeteer mm-hmm and tell us a little bit about the puppeteer this puppeteer for patriotism
1: <laughs> the uh the puppeteer was uh this character who was clearly a remaindered figure and was purchased from some other studio and then run in this book but uh had already gone under another name captain v i believe for victory that
0: might be uh, what what they used in superpower sorry to interrupt you i
1: Oh no problem. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, having purchased them and putting them in a new comic, they had to change his name. Now, by profession, he was a puppeteer, and despite the fact that he wore a, a star-spangled red, white, and blue costume, and he had the powers to shoot uh, sort of red, white, and blue things—I <laughs> don't know—something uh, uh, called a V beam,
0: uh, <laughs> whatever the hell that
1: is. <laughs> that's that's. Inspired when you play Be- the opening notes to Beethoven's Fifth, which of course is Morse code for V, he becomes the puppeteer. None of that makes a lot of sense. He also has a uh, a pet eagle named Raven.
0: Of oh, that's, yeah, but of course, but that of course, may- <laughs> and
1: actually, the weird thing is everybody talks about it as though it is a raven,
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though it's clearly an eagle. So the great thing about the puppeteer, a patriotic hero, and when they when they rebooted him. Under a different company, they just didn't bother giving him another patriotic name, and I can't imagine why.
0: Yeah, I mean that that they would have. I mean, they could have called, like I said, Mister Victory or or yeah, you know, John Justice,
1: Captain Victory, Sergeant Victory, Doctor Victory. Yeah, I mean, Dunn, there's
0: no end. I mean, he's sitting there punching Nazis in the face. You would think that they would do something, but no, he's the puppeteer. So okay. Bless his heart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he tried really, really hard. Um, speaking of Jack Kirby, and I'm just I, I'm sorry, I'm on random access here, John, but this is this is just fantastic. Um, I'm flipping to page 120 because it's Jack Kirby, and I'm on kind of a Jack Kirby kick right now. And the last Golden Age character I want to touch on. And if you could, just because you describe these these characters much better than I can, there's the vagabond prince. Ah, the delight. Uh, and just you could already see. I mean, this is a book that he did in 1947, and he's already starting to play with forced perspective and mm-hmm. you know the 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 really heavy line work um, uh, that would denote what he would do at both Marvel and DC in his later years. He's doing 20 years beforehand here. Tell us about the Vagabond Prince.
1: The Vagabond Prince, uh, <laughs> so that's a that's a Simon and Kirby creation. Uh-huh. And you're definitely right that Kirby is starting to find his voice on this stuntman, Captain America, Sandman, the hundreds of comics he was doing at the time.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. uh, he's really using the exaggerated figures there. And it almost feels like Simon... Who's, who's doing the inking on most of these, does not quite know how to handle it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is wonderful to watch him keep up because you have to imagine working with Kirby is like working with a tornado.
0: Right. You know, it's, it's like, you know, a, a studio musician who would be working with, I don't know, like, like uh, Miles Davis or Charlie Parker or something like that. It's like, no, there's genius at play. We got to keep the rhythm here, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to use a music metaphor.
1: I'm happy with that music metaphor. It <laughs> works. <laughs> uh, so, The Vagabond Prince uh, this is a, a, a sort of a classic Kirby superhero because a lot of his best characters from the era had a lot to do with poverty. Mm. Uh, my favorite Golden Age Kirby stuff is The Newsboy Legion oh. 100% hands down. Yep. And uh, that is just objectively set in Kirby's impoverished.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the Vagabond Prince borrows from that as well. Uh, the prince himself is a, ga- a guy named Ned Oaks. He's a greeting card writer, and he lives in utter squalor. But the thing about him is that he is apparently the actual heir to the ownership of the entire city.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he,
1: he has lost that deed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he ends up becoming. Uh, he gets aided by a slum kid, and teams up with some kind of psych- psycho in a jester's costume who <laughs> likes to speak in really forced Shakespearean dialect.
0: Oh, that's telling and, of the future
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and dresses up in uh, in basically a band leader's costume and goes out to fight all of the crooked uh, you know gangsters and racketeers and crooked politicians and businessmen. Of his hometown. Wow. And of course he dresses like the Vagabond Prince because he's theoretically the prince of all the land that the country's built or the city's built on.
0: But he's forced to live in absolute squalor like an actual vagabond. Lives in
1: poverty, yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. I... I, I need to dive deep into this particular book because I'm really exploring his fourth world stuff and you mentioned Newsboy Legion and -hmm. that brings up, you know, Jim Harper, the Guardian, which brings up Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal and and it pushes me into all that. I I could probably, I I would probably want to do at least an hour or two just on Jack Kirby comics but I'm, (laughs) I'm I'm going to save you that but I'm actually going to give you a mini add to a certain segment of 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 the comics readership in here is that there are so many characters that have later gone not just um, to into other comics like Project Superpowers or like Dollman in uh, you know the, and the quality characters into DC, being folded into DC comics but mm-hmm. I also noticed that you go over um, also from Fawcett Publications, Kid Eternity, um, mm-hmm. then DC's older character brother, Power of the Geek, Prez. Oh, how I love those two! Right They're, you know, and, and these are books that, that have actually made something of a comeback in recent in recent years. Um, you know, both in Vertigo and just them trying to do new and and cool stuff like they did with Prez recently. I, I guess mm-hmm. it was like just outside of the new 52 of comics. Um, if if you haven't mentioned it before, what do you, what do you think is it about these characters that would lend themselves to being, you know, just ever so slightly rebooted to be brought into a modern time frame?
1: Well, one of the neat things about comics in general, or superhero comics specifically, is that they tend to be very reflective of the era that has birthed them. Uh, that's why everybody fought ni- Nazis in the forties. That's why everybody fought commies in the fifties. It's why inexplicably there were a bunch of hippie supervillains in the nineteen sixties and seventies. Yeah, 70s.
0: <laughs> yeah. Beat-
1: beatniks and hippies became the bad guys. But you can pretty much see where comics became corporate, uh, and then every kind of buzz of the era turns into uh, you know something that inspires superheroes and supervillains, and that will come back around. There's nothing. In our culture that does not revisit us in some fashion or another every 30 to 40 years, even if it's just nostalgia for the other era. Yeah. So Prez is a, you know, a political book. It's part of what I like to call the Simon Grandinetti verse, Yep, which is that beautiful green team Prez, brother power the geek, uh, I'm missing one. I'm absolutely forgetting when I'm going to kick myself uh, for it. But anyway, yeah. I'll come back to it later. I, champion good. sports. I always put the champion <laughs> sports in there because it's very underrated. Uh, <laughs> but um, these books were really set and inspired by youth culture. Simon was fascinated by it, even though he was in his fifties when he was writing these. He was just obsessed with the power of of youngsters to do important things. And now we go ahead. You know, we jump ahead forty years. Oh my God, it's been forty years. Yeah. Uh, we jump ahead forty years. Yeah. And we have another youth movement. We have the millennial movement, even though a lot of those guys are, you know, coming up on 40. But still, it's considered a youth movement. We want to look at how youth is changing the world. The Arab Spring was a youth movement. Uh, Much of the protests we've seen throughout the U.S. in the last seven months have really been inspired by youth movements. Mm -hmm. And it seems only natural that D.C. would find, hey, we have a young political character in our past. Let's drag him up. Yeah. And see what we can do with the concept. And that that honestly is true for almost everybody in the book. I can easily see times when they could happily re-enter the culture.
0: Yeah, I, I'm telling you, you know, well, there's there's a few characters here, and I'm totally with you on that, but there's a few characters here I hope never see the light of day again. And I'm uh, looking, of course, at Adam X the Extreme right uh. now, which I mean, if anything defines what went wrong with comics in the 1990s? Um, I know the old adage, there's no bad characters, only bad writers. But holy moly, I mean, this guy, and, and I remember buying this issue of X-Force as a kid, and they introduced this possible third Summer's brother, which turned out to be a red herring, but of this guy with a backwards-turned baseball hat, <laughs> Fabio-like hair, and he's yeah. covered with blades and he has swords because he has the power, the mutant power to ignite blood, yep. <laughs> which I didn't know was a flammable substance.
1: How in the world you discover that? I'm sure there's an origin story I missed that shows how he learned he can boil blood when it's exposed to air.
0: <laughs>
1: but I just I can't imagine why wh- how you would know that any other way than pure accident.
0: I, right? You know, I'm, I, maybe he was, you know, play sword fighting as a 14 year old, with, and they, the kid fell down in the rock quarry where they're. And here I am now trying to create an origin for Adam X. I, I need to stop right now. And then, of course, well, we have Brother Voodoo, but I thought Brian Bendis did a fantastic job rehabilitating that character by turning him later into Dr. Voodoo. Uh, yeah,
1: I, uh, I'm actually a big fan of brother voodoo because yeah. I do, I think he's pretty much the only Afro Caribbean character we've had in comics, uh, uh, in the mainstream superhero comics, I think. I, well, hero.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think Tyrock from the Legion of Superheroes technically counts because that's no <laughs> shit. Um, but, uh, that poor guy. Oh man. Yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, what's wonderful about it is that character exists. And you know Bendis did do a very good job on it, but I think like Tennessee Coates on on uh, Black Panther, it's really open to see an Afro Caribbean writer bring the actual cultural experiences yes. to that character and see what can be done with them.
0: Yeah, you've actually brought up probably my favorite comic being put published by Marvel right now. I mean the, mm-hmm. the degree, I mean all of that, I all that sense of futurism that Matt Fraction brought to Tony Stark and the. Uh, mid 2000s Mm -hmm. I see that now in that new Afrofuturism movement with what Coates is bringing into Black Panther right now and and it's not just a superhero comic it's also a geopolitical thriller comic as Mm -hmm. well and I I could just again that's another episode in and of itself right there Um, so you know we have characters that could be rehabilitated like Brother Voodoo by the way, the look of Brother Voodoo to me never stunk because the the wonderful Gene Colan was the one who did the oh, art yeah. in that. And um, you know, for for our younger listeners, Gene Colan's run on Daredevil is probably the seminal run for me um, in that sort of Bronze Age of comics. Um, now, all digressions aside, as much as characters can be can be rehabilitated. Um, there are certain characters that I feel that no matter how hard, like it would be, you would have to ask yourself as a writer, is this a hill I want to die on? Right. And going to the cover again and just looking at the character of Dr. Hormone, um, (laughs) I don't know how, as uh, you know, as if, if this character is in the public domain or not, I'd have to go look, but would, would I want to create something that is a straightforward, you know, adventure comic with a character who has mastered the science of hormone studies to the point where he is now essentially immortal? Um, I, I, I can't. Tell, tell, tell our listeners about Dr. Hormone and if there are any other characters that you in here are just completely boned for any sort of modern refit are that gonna. That's out. gonna be
1: tricky. Okay. but I will tell you about. I'll tell you about Doctor Hormone first. So, most important thing to know is that his last name is actually Hormone. <laughs> that, that that has, that blows me away because he uh, he spends all of his time with his granddaughter, who you uh, I I would assume <laughs> her, there's a good chance at least that her last name is Hormone too, which is just an unfortunate <laughs> last name. <laughs>
0: Could you imagine <laughs> her in junior high school? Settle down, Miss Hormone. Uh,
1: Janie Hormone. Is Janie Hormone here? Yeah. It's a terrible name. Or anyway, say, so
0: he, uh, it would be like a, a, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Mel Brooks, that's Hormone. Yes. Hormone. Thank you Hormone. very much.
1: Uh, Hormone. <laughs> uh, so he's a, he's a very old scientist. He's worked his entire life to perfect hormones. Uh, and he does, and he injects himself, and he immediately becomes like a twenty eight year old man boom, yeah, so in the course of the stories, though, he uses hormones too. Let me see if I can run through everything. He turns a man into a half a donkey, he turns human beings into fleas and back into human beings again. Mm-hmm. he turns an entire nation into fighting animals so they can defend themselves against Nazi forces. <sighs> He doesn't he doesn't change them back. He he comes across a hospital comes across a hospital of dying babies and he saves them. This is awful. He saves them by injecting them with hormones that immediately turn them turn them into strapping young men. <coughs> who proceed to grab guns and uniforms and go to war.
0: Come on. That's not true. It's
1: all true. And to my mind, I don't want to see that updated in any way, except literally. I want to (laughs) see the exact same stories because they're imagine a David Cronenberg film about
0: Dr. Hormone, the body horror alone. And then it,
1: it ends in the completely ambiguous way where fighting a thinly veiled version of the KKK in Texas.
0: Right. Right.
1: Janie and Dr. Hormone fall down a pit are apparently fall through all of time are met by a disembodied voice that promises to give them all the powers in the universe. And then their series is over.
0: Amazing. Amazing. They just fall into the infinite and all of a sudden they're, they're Dave from 2001, a space odyssey. That's, they um, become,
1: they become gods and then their book is canceled.
0: That's, Wow, they hit 20th level uh, to borrow a tabletop RPG term. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so do you think that there are any characters that cannot be rehabilitated or, 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 you know, aside from being literally interpreted as they were like Dr. Hormone here, um, do you think that there are any characters that cannot be brought back into the modern era of comics with what we've got going on right now? There are
1: a few that defy the ability to be updated um, in part because there are some, some. Okay. So this falls into a couple categories. Okay. There's the characters that you can't update because the creator was such a big part of the voice. So I've seen people use Phantoma and Stardust, the super wizard in their comics. Yep. But what made those characters great was the unhinged quality and the obsessiveness of Fletcher Hanks. Right. And I think the unpredictability of him. And you would have to capture a lot in that spirit to be able to make him work again.
0: Right. Now, I don't remember who brought back who uh, Fantoma, but I remember Eric Larson uh, did mm-hmm. a, a Stardust, the Super Wizard strip. And it was mad in and of its own right, but ju- but it was it was an Eric Larson comic, I thought. I didn't think mm-hmm. it was a, a true continuation. But where did Fantoma reappear
1: uh she's been in tim seeley's hack and slash and uh i've seen amateur stuff on the web that uses her okay but even with the even with the eric larson adaptation of stardust it's all it's an homage at best it's trying to recapture fletcher hanks we need to find somebody who is just knocking futz like that boy yeah and let them go nuts you know, maybe I, uh, I wouldn't even put Grant Morrison on it, and he's probably one of the weirder creators in comics history.
0: I was going to say, you know, I, I think that Grant Morrison right now thinks at too complex a level to to descend back to the golden age at this point. <laughs> probably, I, so. I think he's about ready to ascend into the fourth dimension at this point. Um, I was going to say maybe Gerard Way and the people who are doing um, mm-hmm. uh, the Young Make Animal, animal things, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, but that would be a stretch. Um, but I have
1: an art preference. If they ever uh, if they ever get back to doing Stardust and Phantom, I'd love to see Simon Bisley on the art. Oh,
0: weird. Yeah. Yep. I could I could almost see that Simon Bisley on that, or even like a Dan Brereton, maybe.
1: Oh, i would love Dan Brereton on yeah. it.
0: Yeah, that you know, and and just that kind of go for broke of the old Stardust comics. I mean, if if. Kids, you I mean, I, I got I cannot recommend this book enough. The 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 ideas alone, if you're a creative-minded individual, um, this volume is amazing. And John, um, just before I got on the on Skype with you here, I, I ordered from Amazon the sequel to this book, I understand. Yay. Yay! And it's on sale. <laughs> and and just, you know, give us give us a little nugget about uh what that title is and uh and uh, uh, maybe feature one character from there for us.
1: Uh, sure. Um, so that's the Legion of Regrettable Supervillains. It is very much the same thing as the Heroes book, but doing it for the villains. Although confidentially, I, am, uh, I used it as an opportunity to slide in some, uh, some characters that I'd wanted to include in the first book. Okay. So you're, you get to learn about characters, superheroes like Airmail and Stampy. Oh, yes. <laughs> Two of the, the absolutely the worst names in comics. <clears throat> Mr. Scarlet and Pinky, who I wanted to cover in the first book, but we were overdoing the Fawcett characters. Okay. Uh, uh, who else? There was another one that I was real proud to get in there. Mr. Scarlet and Pinky. Uh, oh, and Captain Flag, who was a... A hero who was trained by a Kung Fu eagle to fight crime. (laughs) But, uh, uh, yeah, so it's, it's 108 of the weirdest supervillains to ever be published in comic books and, uh, plus some small features with a couple dozen more so oh, you get your money's worth on the villains.
0: Oh, I cannot wait. Uh, I've got another week at least of jury duty, so this will be going with me to the courthouse every day this week. <laughs> uh, this has kept Glad my help. I'm telling you, this has kept my sanity, John. I can't thank you enough and I'm looking forward to legion of regrettable supervillains. Um, and what projects uh, do you have going on right now? Anything that you'd like to tease for the future? Well, uh
1: we're working on whatever's going to be the third part of this series. Uh, I, there's a lot of possibilities. Comics continue to be super weird.
0: Uh-huh. In
1: the meantime, my blog Gone and Forgotten is still running, so there's always something new and unusual there. I've been recapping the late '90s USA Network late night Swamp Thing
0: television show. Why have I not episode been episode by episode? Why have I not been reading your blog? Holy crap! It's got it's. <laughs> This is, oh my, you're revisiting my childhood, my friend. So this is, what is the name of your blog site again? It is Gone and Forgotten. Fantastic. I am going, I'm literally going, after we're done with this call, I'm going to Gone and Forgotten. And I'm going to start <laughs> mentally downloading Swamp Thing. Um I feel sorry for the guy uh, in our trial right now. Cause he's going to have my head full of stuff when, when the instructions come to us. finally. Um, I, really,
1: I hope that you guys are debating the, the verdict that you just, well, you know, as Swamp Thing
0: once said, <laughs> that's right. Do not uh, bring your evil here. Try a psychogenic tuber instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, outside
1: of that, I'm also doing, uh, this project, the chronological Superman, which will be five years old on Tuesday. Uh-huh. And on which I am documenting, every single appearance of Superman and the Superman family in chronological order across all of his media.
0: Oh, John, I am so glad I came across you because you've got some, so much stuff. I mean, this is the stuff that, that we've been thinking about, uh, that I've been thinking about quite, quite a bit. Um, and I've got a small circle of friends that I know from high school still, and we get together about once a month and all that. And we were talking about what a socialist communist Bernie Sanders with superpowers that Superman was in the early action comics oh, yeah. days, um, that, you know, he was worse than Batman. I mean, if there was a guy who was running a tenement building that he wouldn't clean up for his tenants, he'd throw him off the top of the 13th story. Building. Mm-hmm. It's early, su-
1: early Superman. Besides being a raging new deal federalist, yep. just like as aggressive as you can get. Right. Uh, hat did kill a lot of people, not, not intentionally. It's actually well into the Silver Age before he intentionally kills a human being. Mm-hmm. But he does terrify a lot of people into heart attacks. <laughs>
0: That's right. Or falling out <laughs> falling out that open window behind their desk. <laughs> you know? There's there's
1: one guy who's, he's roughing up and he just throws him up in the air. And it's one of those things where he's up in the air for a few panels and he falls back down and he gets caught. And the third or fourth time he does it, Superman goes, oh, his heart gave out poor fella, and then just kind of leaves him. <laughs> that's
0: it. And so the cleaning woman... He's hard. Woman, the, I mean, that's that's hard scrabble. I mean, that 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 is depressionary life. Oh, well, I'll let the cleaning lady clean this mess up right here. By
1: uh, By World War II, he stops beating up capitalists, which is a real shame, because I was enjoying it myself.
0: You know, I think there's a book there for D.C. I, there's this whole untapped market of people felt marginalized in the last election. I'm just telling them... If anybody's listening right now, there's a strip here. There's an online strip here. Uh, John, I I want to tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Graphic Content Podcast. Um, Could you tell our listeners where they can find you online besides Gone and Forgotten and the Chronological Superman?
1: Uh, Best place to visit is my website. It's either calamityjohnsave.us, or if you can't remember that, it's just calamityjohn.com. And you can literally find me on every social media service known to man under calamity john
0: as i on found on twitter
1: you. <laughs> as you found me twitter tumblr live journal elo mastodon ask jeeves pets.com the imdb.com <laughs> message boards angel fire uh, and and hamsterdams.com i'm on all of them
0: well that john that that's fantastic plus it makes it you know somebody with ADD like myself, very easy to find you. So if I do <laughs> do start an LO account before they 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 close shop, maybe I'll hit you up on that next. Um, John, just thanks again for coming into the graphic content studio. Um, maybe we can get together again and talk uh, Legion of Regrettable Supervillains next time.
1: Bring, bring me on; I'd be love to do it. Had, had a very good time.
0: Fantastic. Okay, thank you, John, and for graphic content, I'm Jim. You can find me on Twitter at Jimmers with 3Ms or Graphic Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, you name it. We're pretty much out there, uh, though I don't think we've started a Pets.com account yet. So, uh, <laughs> John, thanks again for, for joining me for this last uh, 45 minutes. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and hope to talk to you again real soon.
1: Thanks very much, Jim.
0: Thank you.